It's a boner on us. Sit back, listeners. I'm out of creative ways to introduce the boners. <laughs> I think it's best to just let the boner lead into the room. Walk into the room boner first. Just boner. say, this is a boner. And then following, oh, it's on us. It is on us. So this is a boner on us. Our deep dives into a hot topic in romance. Um, now, this actually isn't a hot topic. This is like an old topic. This is like hot topic, the mall store itself. It's called hot topic, but it's been around for a while. But it's new to me. Just like a fox rerun. If I haven't seen it, it's new to me. And I encountered this particular trope in the wild for the first time the other day, and that is Faded Mates. We want to talk about Faded Mates? Yeah, well, this encounter, you know, it's hard to believe after all that we've been through that we still have our core cased system. <laughs> it's <laughs> true. Which you are the expert and I am the neophyte. After all these years. After all these years. And so when we were reading this book that the episode will debut shortly that involves faded mates, I had a lot of questions for you and I thought perhaps they would be better answered on air because maybe you, the listeners, have some of the same questions that I do, which is Faded Mates, what is? What is a Faded Mate? What is Faded Mate? I've never read a pan Faded Mates. They're, this isn't about thruples or anybody else. It's ruthlessly monogamous. <laughs> and the Faded Mate is between our hero and our heroine. And they meet. Sometimes they smell each other. And they're like, bing, bong, bing. <laughs> lightning flashes. Symbols crash. And it's like, you're with me now. Forever. No choice but to go through. Isabel. Morgan. This is not in the outline, but affect theory. Mm. Could you explain faded mates as it relates to affect for me? Oh my God. Do you guys want to know what affect theory is? Please. Can we have an explainer <laughs> on affect theory before I put romance trope faded mates into it? Affect theory is in development. <laughs> as are we all. As are we all. But it, ugh, I'm not sure. I feel like I might blow it. An intangible having a tangible effect, right? If someone's like, what is affect? Sometimes people have lightning bolt moments when they see other human beings. Like the idea of love at first sight isn't something that we just like imagined up for ourselves. And a lot of people will say that feeling is kind of the, you know how the clitoris is just like a really concentrated penis? Yes. <laughs> love at first sight is like a really concentrated affect experience. Yes. Which is kind of making the intangible tangible through thinking about it, writing it, discussing it. I don't know. I mean, I think where faded mates and potentially love at first sight would come into affect theory is the like physical consequences of the feeling. Yeah. And since faded mates means that no matter what the obstacle, whether or not you're Romeo and Juliet or a werewolf and a witch or an angel and a demon. Or an angel and a mermaid. Or an angel and a mermaid. It doesn't matter if you are a fish and a bird, you guys are going to find a way to ride a bicycle together for the rest of your God-given days. Okay. So this kind of reminds me of some stuff in fan fiction. Yes. If I may. Please. I make, love fan fiction. We love fan We love it. Because, and I think this comes up for me because whenever I think of faded mates, I think of mates. And that always makes me think of the animal kingdom, mm -hmm. even though the animal kingdom is decidedly not very matey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like not very monogamous in the human way that mm -hmm. we think about monogamy, aka the only way we ever perceive any kind of living creature. But it reminds me of a lot of interesting 
interesting like subcategories of fan fiction. One thing that got a lot of attention two or three years ago, nodding, mm. because there was the, I don't think it was at LeakyCon, but at one of the fan fiction cons, they had a, a panel called Can You Not K-N-O-T, which is based on the idea that human characters from your favorite works of pop culture, famously Sherlock and Watson, mm. breed each other like dogs, where a knot forms in the penis Wow! at the moment of ejaculation. The reason this is coming to mind is that they made a big deal at this con, like, please, no one under the age of 16 in this room. And of course, filled with 12 year olds, <laughs> wall to wall teen spirit wearers. So it got like way more attention as opposed to a niche. And also everyone was like so obsessed with the idea of Sherlock fanfic or Sherlock fic in a way that I think like very few other fan fiction modes besides that like terrible one about Harry Potter that was really about my chemical romance oh, God. that was like caught a lot of steam like fan fiction about Sherlock and um, John Locke fan fiction was just like a huge lightning rod there for a second yeah everyone wanted to ask Martin Freeman and Benedict Cumberbatch how they felt about it they were as dismissive it was just like so fucking typical the thing about fanfic and potentially even this trope there's like I don't want to say it's like a generational divide but maybe a technological one mm. where it's like if you didn't grow up in the moment where fan fiction became a community that you wanted to participate in you're like Muh. and I'm like people have been writing Watson and Sherlock fanfic since the beginning yeah you goon boons it is in fact the origin text of fan fiction indeed and so like well the largely agreed upon origin text of fan fiction let's dispute it right and I think like in the same way that actors don't like to be asked about their fan fiction yeah. I think romance writ large has sometimes a strange relationship with faded mates. It's pejoratively referred to as insta love. Like yeah. it's an easy thing to do. And I would argue that it's not. It's okay. not an easy thing to do well. But do you feel like some of that John Locke stuff is kind of like I'm on the right track? Like that's kind of faded matesy. Like where they like smell each other and they like have to be together yes. and like they'll defy anything. Yes. Okay. Much less about the knotted penises. Although that too. Okay, so if John Locke fanfic is not going to get me to where, what are the seminal texts? <laughs> seminal texts, as far as everyone should be concerned when it comes to Faded Mates, are going to fall into essentially two outstanding categories. That is the Sai Changeling series by Nalini Singh and Cressley Cole's The Immortals After Dark series. That's the one that Jen Reed's romance talks about on Faded Mates. The Faded Mates. Yes. Those are their big episodes of their first season was doing the book. The Cressley Cole. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Okay. So these two big categories, like, or these two big series. Massive, expansive. Think Marvel Cinematic Universe. The Immortals After Dark has 16 going on 18 books. Nalini Singh has, I don't know, like 23 or more. It's insanity. And like, they just build on each other and like the universe just keeps going and expanding in ways that are really actually incredibly thoughtful and fun for such a seemingly simple trope. 
where it's like, I see you, I smell you, I bite you, you're mine forever. Okay. Are those like the main beats of a faded mate? Well, faded mates falls into two obstacle categories. <laughs> okay. One where it's like, I see you, I smell you, I love you, you're mine. And like whatever the obstacle is, is really like outside of the pair where yeah. it's like, you know, we have to fight off dark wizards or whatever. They're not fighting the matedness. And then the other one is where they have to fight the matedness, right? It's like, I've mated, I've scented the wrong person for me. Like I am the princess of the panther tribe and I've smelled a wolf and like, shit. So like, it's like Ro- Romeo so, so and Juliet. Star-crest lovers. Yes. Or Underworld yes. might be more fitting. Underworld's way more fitting. Because, well, it's like a supernatural concept. So yes. it makes way more sense in like terms of like supernatural creatures experiencing yes. it. Underworld uh, is a perfect example of it. I don't know. I think my John Locke example was pretty fucking good. <laughs> Are there any non-supernatural romances that use like the idea of faded mates? Or like it is a faded mates? I think what would be hard to sort of track in a non-shifter, non-paranormal, with the fate is like that supernatural element because fate itself feels really supernatural or yeah. like there's an ambiguous whether or not this is going to turn out okay or not. Like in yeah. Romeo and Juliet, it doesn't turn out okay. Fate feels like something that's bad. Right. You're driven to it. There's like no escaping. Right. Whereas like destiny or coincidence are like softer versions of a set outcome. Yeah. And if fate, it is like, ugh. Do you know, whenever you're saying that difference between destiny and fate is really interesting. It's really interesting thing to draw out because there is something that feels even in the context of like knowing manifest destiny was a genocidal project indeed is a genocidal project I mean they didn't call it manifest fate (laughs) there's something about like destiny feeling like there's a higher power moving you along Mm -hmm. and you're just kind of like floating and it'll come to be because Mm -hmm. it's meant to be destiny feels like a positive outcome fate feels like an ambiguous outcome potentially negative and deathly like there isn't something like higher powery about it which I think works in this like creature animalistic way Mm -hmm. you know like your own biology like your own messy random biology is putting you down this path as opposed to like a god figure right and it's inescapable right there's nothing that you can do to deny or defy your biology yeah because the fact that people are like smelling each other yeah I mean, reminds me of like pheromones and like yeah and like body yeah it's like imagine like if your genome just like unlocked when it saw someone and then locked back up but like with them yeah once you meet your mate you're forever changed And if you don't end up with your mate, sometimes you die, right? If you don't mate your mate, you can die. You physically die. You physically die. And like also if we're dealing in the realm of supernatural, like if you're an immortal creature that has a huge resonance, but it also like is like a soul death, right? If you have a mate and then can't be with it, like you become less, right? You're like maimed in the process of the not mate. So that's weird because that's a duality that feels very cerebral and very corporeal. But whenever I think about like fate versus destiny, I think of as like two separate ideas and destiny almost feels more cerebral and fate feels more corporeal. Does that make sense? It kind of does. Like I keep thinking about like Odysseus's adventure. Like it was his fate to be fucked up on his journey home, but it was his destiny to get there. Um, Yeah. And like the difference between that where it's like all of his problems are of his own making. Like he angers Poseidon and then like doesn't take other people's advice and like has a series of like bad choices. Yeah. And like that's his fate and the gods aren't really interfering on his behalf until you're seven to like push 
push him along on his destiny. And I think like that's an easier way for me to think about this. Whereas like with Faded Mates, it does become really murky in the sense that like depending on the series you're in, everyone has a faded mate. But like you could live a long time without meeting them and you're perfectly fine. Like Mm -hmm. nothing's missing until you meet them. Yeah. And then if you don't have them, that's when the missing comes in. Like that's when something gets hollowed out of you. So it's the creation of a void and then yes. the filling of a void. Yes. Is maybe the larger arch. Well, I guess unless you're like a creature who knows your faded mate is out there. Like you're like, I've got a faded mate. Like the one we read. Yeah. He like knows he has a faded mate. So it's just always already a void. Okay. What's the appeal? In the book we read, this immediately became obvious to me. And then, you know, we read some great pieces on Book Riot and Frolic Media um, talking about faded mates. And one thing that is immediately brought to the forefront is the question of consent Mm -hmm. and like the choice of falling in love, like the choiciness of it, right, is removed Mm -hmm. because this is your fate. Right. So you can fight your fate to a certain point. But it's it's a romance novel. It's an HEA. You got to end up. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's why the two fated mates are interesting where you have those that fight their attraction, fight their fate. Mm -hmm. And then you have those who are like, oh, this is great. (laughs) And then like the the obstacles outside. Internal Um, versus external. Right. And so I think it depends on who you're asking, but I think the appeal of the fight, the fate, is like the thing about where you're instantly physically in lust with a person where you like get a hot flash Mm -hmm. where your whole body reacts to someone and then you're like oh but that guy sucks and like I don't want to have this physical reaction and then it freights the physical reaction that you have of your lust into a larger one into a problem and a solution okay so like if you like angst if you like angst, this is the trope for you. Yeah. Well, assuming that they are resistant to their fate. Yes. Because otherwise okay. it's like, it's pretty pat. I feel like you're very team like fight the fate. I am. I'm team fight the fate every time. Fight the fate is also sounds like enemies to lovers. Yes. They have almost the exact same beats. Really? Yes. Except in Enemies to Lovers, there isn't a blooding scenario. What's a blooding scenario? <laughs> you have to seal your faded mateness physically. And that's usually an exchange of fluids, but maybe not always the ones that you think. Like period blood. Period blood, jism, whatever. P- period blood is a part of it? I've definitely read one with period blood and it was about panthers, but it wasn't a Malini's thing, so... Panthers, periods. There's a lot of peas in that one. Okay. Penises. But it's the exchange of blood that isn't necessarily sexual is part of the mated process. So it's like oftentimes... Not necessarily sexual. Can you have a faded mate who's not a romantic? No. Okay. Disappointed. <laughs> Sorry. That's not how this works. I totally forgot for a second that I'm on a romance novel podcast. <laughs> so sorry. I am so sorry, everyone. That's not how this works. But I mean, in the sense that like sometimes because you have to have this exchange of bodily fluid and it's not necessarily the sex act that does it. Right. But, because you should use condoms. Right. Although birth control is like also never talked about in faded mate shifter romances. So that's like a whole other thing. Anyway, beside the point, oftentimes there has to be a biting scene where somebody they bites. They should talk about it because feline AIDS is airborne. That, and if you're shifting into a, any kind of cat species. Oh man, that's really important to have in <laughs> these world buildings. 
<laughs> Usually somebody has to bite somebody else. And sometimes oftentimes it happens during the penultimate sex act where uh-huh. like both of them have like bared their vulnerabilities. Penis and vagina penetrative. Yeah. Heteronormative. Yeah. Sex. But other times it happens in like weirder ways where it's like, oh man, we're not going to have a chance to bone, but you're my faded mate. And we've had this like vulnerable dialogue where it's yeah. like, we know that we're together and like somebody's like body is broken. So you yeah. can't have sex. And then somebody like does the thing that is the mating ceremony. It's like getting married by the captain on the boat as it's sinking. Yeah. Okay. You can do that. Okay. I mean, it still sounds sexual. Shh. I mean, it's sure. an exchange of fluids. It's an exchange of fluids. Yeah. In lieu of it's marriage. Like, it's very ritualistic, right? Yeah. And that's the thing where it's like, if you're a faded mate, you don't necessarily need a marriage because you're faded. Like you're more than married. So it's ritualistic. So it's like a series of steps you have to take in a particular way. Oftentimes, but usually it's just the one step and you have to eventually take it before you die. <laughs> okay. Sort of ritual, like light ritualistic. Yeah. Like oftentimes the world created has a ritual uh-huh. and then the ritual is either interrupted or has to be changed. But either way, there has to be a vulnerable moment where like you are marked as each other's. So I got to say, like, I have a hard time with this because like I said, it seems to take away the choiciness. Like I like enemies to lovers. I have fun with that. I also like people resisting their fate or like resisting desire in general is interesting to me in romance novels. Hit me up with your Rex. But there's something in the destiny of it, like the unavoidableness of it. It feels like it's solving a problem of consent. Does that make sense? Right. And I think that's why in a lot of ways, this is a trope that gets maligned in spaces where people don't love it. Yeah. Where it's like consent is taken out. Violence, especially of alpha males, is like rationalized. Well, that's way sized and like other things that like this trope allows to happen and like maybe doesn't interrogate it enough. But where faded mates, I think, feels easy on its face actually gets into the really complicated moves of like what it means to resist lust or give in to lust. I think you're hitting on something like larger about romance. And that is romance has a lot of problems that you don't notice when it's good. Right. And the hard thing is being good at it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like being able to write something as like intimate and as vulnerable as love and romance in a way that also allows for like the stuff you're less willing to put on your okay cupid profile right like right. if you kind of are interested in something like being submissive so you can healthfully respectfully positively have a dominant submissive sexual relationship with a lot of like good tools good practice in the same way like you can have a healthy likable depiction of something like faded mates with a lot of practice and a lot of tools Just Disclaimer, I do ask that people are aware that you're not just born liking to be choked. (laughs) Like something in your cultural consumption has led you to this point and it's not positive. And it is in fact something that should be resisted. You shouldn't feel bad about what you want because you've come by it honestly, but please don't be like my self-negation is a positive all the time. Okay, so I don't love the idea of it. I have not read any good faded mates. I would say. That's something like, that we'll have to do on the podcast. Because there's like Jacob falling in love with a baby. Which is in hideous. Twilight. Yeah. And like a lot of people who love Faded Mates were upset by that. Rightfully so. In the same way that I think like honest 
past and caring, consenting BDSM folks were upset by Fifty Shades of Grey. Thank you. And I think like all of that's fair and all of that's fine. But like the idea that you can have someone hijack your thing and like show it in a fun house mirror and all of the ways that it can be bad. Yeah. Is like the real sucks. The real suck, but also the real tightrope walk. So like, but also something like, I'm sorry to interrupt, but also something that like anyone can relate to because as soon as your thing becomes popular that you love, somebody's going to ruin it. Yeah, somebody's <laughs> going to fuck it up and then everyone's going to be like, that's your thing. Yeah. You're like, no, 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 that's, no not my that's, thing. that's not my thing. It doesn't I don't look do like that. that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like Faded Mates really falls into this one. And we read a lot of articles, you know, for this boner about how like, oh, paranormal <laughs> romance is really, it's a well-researched boner. It is. Uh, you know, paranormal romance is really on the wane and like faded mates is really on the wane and it's like I don't think it's necessarily on the wane I think that this is more of a course correction okay like paranormal exploded in 2003 uh-huh. after Cressley Cole published and Nalini's thing had been doing her work for three years but also True Blood came on the television scene. yep and it and also her books, books and like bridged the romance to mainstream genre yeah of supernatural of supernatural because True Blood isn't faded mates right it's shifter and like they're braided anyway and I think like everybody then saw an opportunity to like have a swing at the pinata of capital that was being generated and a lot of people did it really not well (laughs) (laughs) and then there's like a course correction because those readers still exist those readers still read but now they're so source selective yeah. And so then I think it's like one of those moments where you really have to be a choosy reader because the market really got flooded. My name is Morgan and I love the True Blood Dead After Dark book series as well as the television series at me. Like this is one of the things I encountered whenever I was asking questions is I was like, oh, it's like shifters. It's like True Blood. So like sometimes they fall in love with an animal and sometimes they're animals together and sometimes they're humans together. And there's like a real understanding of like when you are that creature, your life is governed by the politics of that creature, right? When you're a panther, you're a panther all the way. And when you're a dog, you're a dog all the way. And when you're an owl, you're an owl all the way. And that's not what happens in Faded Mates. No. Cresley Cold, like her book isn't like that. No. What I think is a really fascinating line where it's like, you're always the human. And when you're in your human form, your beast can speak to you. And mm-hmm. right. So you oftentimes like alpha males will like hit a wall or like kick a car. But like, if you saw someone's partner do something like casually violent like that, you'd you be like, fr- I would freak the fuck out. Yeah. You'd be like, get out, get out now. Like not acceptable. Not acceptable. Violence is never acceptable. Right. And the thing I that- don't care how much you're feeling something. No. Right. And the thing <sighs> I'll that- take my own advice. I'll try not to shout, but I don't hit things. I don't right. physically intimidate, intimidate others. others. And the thing about having a faded mate and that the feelings are so strong is that oftentimes, especially in shifter faded mates or other supernaturals like the beast inside Mm -hmm. sometimes comes out and that's what that looks like and then the human is the one who has to deal with the consequences and they often feel bad and like have to like make a mea culpa but when they're in their animal form it's their humanness that shackles the violence of the animal okay and so like that play of like who's in control and when is often a huge point of tension in the book and like how much of your beast you're allowing and like where your self control is and like controlling your beast is about self-control well it sounds to me from what you're describing I feel like and we're talking about shifters we're talking about shifters now yeah but you know they're braided (laughs) as you said it sounds to me like 
this is a way of always giving the character and I'm picturing a hero because I'm more physically intimidated by men than women the reasons are legion but the <laughs> I don't have to explain myself I don't know I was like so here's why no, I'm like, the here's my TED talk on why men are scarier than women and I think there's been enough yeah. like stand up tight fives about that that yeah. I don't need to put in my own two cents but like I'm picturing a male and it always gives them the moral high ground right because they're in their human form they act out you know with physical violence they kick a car and it's like well that's just the animal inside them and that kind of creates like a purity of feeling and a purity of purpose because we always think of animals as these like you know like if a dog doesn't like someone people are like oh right it's not like like the dog yeah but then whenever they're a creature and they're an animal but perhaps a creature I don't know can they change into mythological things well mythological things are a part of faded mates werewolves their humanness Mm -hmm. like they're better than other hermit crabs I assume there are hermit crab faded mate shifters if there isn't we should read one right one yeah (laughs) you know like in this moment this is the superior hermit crab the king of the hermit crabs because this hermit crab has the ability of like moral and ethical reasoning or whatever but also has the capacity for an ethic which is a whole different thing and gets into human centrist views of the world that we obviously are constantly imposing but it sounds like a way to give in the way I'm thinking about it the hero the moral high ground all the time it's not all the time and I think one of the things that's really important about the way in which really well written faded mates and shifters deal with that again because I think like that is what happens in like less thoughtful less careful works yeah where like the hero's like I'm sorry I was so mad and it's like no guy and like one of the things that's careful especially about a heroine is like partner really gets built into that it's like no what you did was terrifying to me and I don't care if that's your nature like you don't get to scare me the heroine is then freighted with a very specific kind of weight because she's the fated mate well then what's the pleasure in that what's the pleasure in just being like like I can understand how it would be pleasurable because everyone wants to be the kind of desired that inspires someone to action right like jealousy or protectiveness like part of everyone wants to be some version of that desirability right but in real life, we actually see an act of violence like that. And we're like, oh, my God, never mind. Even though it can continue to be like something we want. It's something we want to keep in our fantasy world. Right. Because right. whenever it rears its ugly head in the real world, it genuinely terrifying. Yes. And so if a good faded mate text is not that, if it's about holding the animal inside accountable, that just feels like a real life bad relationship. <laughs> sure. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. Yeah. Maybe I'm not explaining it right, but it's like the moment when I'm like, this is all going to sound terrible because like, all of my like cinematic references are bad, <laughs> but it's like the pleasure comes from being like the Naomi Watts to King Kong, where it's like you've brought the beast to its knees. And like you chose the worst King Kong to reference. I really like I There were like two others. <laughs> I really like Adrian Brody. Twas beauty kills the, the beast. beast. Adrian Brody's so really to be, good in that. to be like the lion tamer. Yes. Because like the other thing that I think is actually really interesting. That makes sense. Faded mates is the exploration of fear. Mm-hmm. And like that's what really comes in with the lack of choice that I think is like sometimes not explored mm-hmm. enough. This particular subtrope where it's like the fear of loss of self. Yeah. But also the pleasure of that loss and like living in that like liminal space between the two and like being the lion tamer and continuing to have the fear of loss of self, but also like entering into the ring and knowing that, that like you are essentially 
socially protected because of your special status. Yeah. And like, it's that thing. So it sounds like some of it is maybe like negation of self. Like, yeah. I mean, okay. So like, so negation of self sounds negative, it right? Does. And it is because we're all thinking proactive human beings here. But if I listed out like the ideas of a negation of self, like never having to choose the restaurant, never having to be fearful of whether or not you're going to die alone and how you're going to be able to sustain that, never having to go on Tinder again, go on Tinder again, like never having to like think deeply about the moral implications of what you're doing, living the unexamined life. Those are all parts of self-negation that sound, if not nice, pleasurable. You said so astutely that there's so much of romance that's like a sore tooth. Mm -hmm. Like you push on it and it feels good and it feels bad. Yes. And that's how these ideas feel to me. Yes. Like there's so much of me that like I am not going to resent myself for wanting easier choices. (laughs) I would only resent myself if I actually built my life around having easier choices. And romance is a place where you can go and you can allow yourself to kind of vicariously experience something like a positivist self-negation. Because you're not the only one in it, right? So self-negation in this sense, it's like the other person is too self-negated by the faded mate pair. Yeah. Like you enter into it together. And so then the self-negation then sort of in this like weird unlocking mechanism of the faded mate trope becomes like the ultimate coupledom of then that is the entity that's created by the double self-negation. Yeah. And like, sure. And you are absolved of responsibility because it's fate. It's fate. Yeah. It's like there's nothing you could do. Dude, there's nothing you can do. It's you your biology. Died. Yeah. You yeah. could have. You could have literally died. Yeah. Good thing you didn't. Yeah. You made the right choice. Yep. All right. God, it's just so much to contemplate and ponder. Yeah, I think we should read a couple and then see where we're at. And I think- <laughs> Could take two and call me in the morning. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's one of the things, like I want to come back to this idea that like oftentimes there are things in romance, especially from our 2019, 2020 perspective that don't feel good on their face. Like if a contemporary romance, just your straight up standard or historical, had a guy kicking a carriage, it would be like, oh, he's bad. He's the bad news. He's but it would villain. also be just like everything from the 90s back. Right. It's like all the ice wines. It's like all the ice wines. So maybe... We've come some ways (laughs) and we will come more ways. (laughs) We have grown, but we have also found we're shooting the gap. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think like, honest to God, it really depends on execution. Yeah. And like, that's the thing that I think you and I need to keep thinking about and keep saying is like, romance is not a monolith. None of the subgenres yeah. are a monolith. Yeah. And like a good story in the hands of a master craftswoman can really make you think and think critically and uncritically about your pleasures. And like, that's one of the good things about the genre. But they're not all master craftswomen. <laughs> they're not all master crafts. But I also want to say like, just because a shifter romance is shooting that gap is like, here is your 21st century version of a bodice ripper. Even if that's the case, if that's what you like, I think romance is a great place to explore it because you can always close the book, yep. which is wonderful. One of the best things about it is like you can explore. So it's about craft. Like quality is about craft. It's not about necessarily the ideas. Right. And like, I think that's even more amazing that there are good romances that can have a super dumb alpha male who's like, it's the beast inside me and I can still bad pleasure yeah and I can still find good pleasures in it yeah yeah all right that boner was on us (laughs) 
Whoa, golly, gee. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. Womance is hosted by Isabeau. That's me. And Morgan, that's me. Production is by Nick Gravelin. Our webmistress is the incomparable Jane Bonzac. And our illustration and logo were created by Mary Reichman. They're the best. If you'd like to follow, creep, or connect with us on our social media platforms, you can find us at mans underscore woe on Twitter, womance on Instagram, or email at womancemail at gmail.com. You can also hang out on our amazing website at womancepodcast.com. You can support us by using our code to visit our sponsors or go to our Patreon where we are Womance. Womance is officially part of the Frog podcast network discover more podcasts just like our own centering on romance and reading at frolic.media slash podcast until next week